Sweet, we still have three, three bars. God is good, amen? amen. What a privilege it is for us as, as uh, mere fallen creatures, sinful, wretched souls like us, to be able to gather together and to worship Almighty God, and that He bids us come. He meets us here where we're at. Um, in, uh, um, so this past Friday, it was the March for Walk there in Washington, D.C. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of young folk. That was so encouraging to see some of that, um, to see these young uh, 20-somethings understand the importance of life. Um, and it is sancti- uh, Sanctity of Life uh, Month, and I'm going to continue on in the same kind of uh, message that I had from last week. I didn't get a chance to finish everything. There was so much there. And in light of the headlines of today, the things that we see, the craziness that's going on around the world, um, I think it's much needed that we should re-examine um, what it is that we believe, how we believe, what we should believe as believers. Um, because we're different. We're different than we were. Amen? We're, we're not what we used to be in our B.C. era. We're different. And somehow, some way, God uses that to His glory. And I praise God for that. Um, one of the things that uh, um, we didn't share um, uh, entirely from yesterday, for those of you who didn't um, get to see the, uh, get to be here and, and uh, celebrate Brent's life, um, we sang a song before we got into the uh, Let the Speakers Speak, and they told about some of his um, mischievous past, and that was kind of fun. Um, but uh, what was really cool about it was that, you know, we sang a song that, was, uh, um, that he really liked. It was, uh, you, you bury the workman. You bury the workman, but the work goes on. And that's what, that's what kind of Brent's celebration was about. And it was kind of nice to see that uh, there was one of his friends and a couple of his friends that came up and spoke. One of the main themes uh, about what they spoke was they, they told about all the memories, the precious memories they had, all the crazy things that they used to do, and, and uh, some of the things that we didn't know about Brent they, they got to share from his teenage years and so on and so forth. It was really awesome. But to a T, all of them said, you know, but the last three or four years of his life was different. That cat had changed. There was something different about him. We couldn't go into any conversation. They're scratching their heads trying to figure this out. We couldn't talk for him for too long when he, you know, by golly, he, he brought in that Jesus and stuff about him. He couldn't help it. He just... He was so changed. And, and that was amazing to see, and, and even with the things that are going on in, in the world. And, and there's some crazy things, some awful things. I printed off some headlines. These are just headlines. I don't, I'm not going to spend any time reading the stories because, you know. And so when we're talking about the sanctity of life, today's message is the sanctity of life and the eternal gospel. There's, there's a connection. And sanctity of life, right now, we're, as we sit today, in accordance with, uh, um, oh gosh, I can't think of the name of the website now, Life News, I think it is. Right now, as we sit here today, there are reported, and these are only reported, I think it's much more, 63,400,000, if not 500,000, babies who have been murdered since Roe versus Wade. 
Shall not the judge of the earth judge? You think we're going to be free from that judgment as a country? It breaks my heart that I have to report such things. To think about that. 63 million plus. I think it's closer to 65 million myself. There's a lot of unreported ones. Babies who are slaughtered. That is taking something that God has commanded us, as I said last week from Genesis uh, chapter 1, when He made man. And the first thing God did is He made man and He brought them together and then He said what? He blessed them. He blessed them. And then He said, be fruitful. Bear much fruit. And then He said, multiply. And then He said, fill the earth. And we have groups of people... I believe demonically influenced these devils that are doing the devil's work, these multi-billionaires and all these power mongers behind the scenes. And obviously there's one mind that is working behind the scenes, behind them, that's influencing them, that want to, that, that keep proclaiming this thing that we've been hearing since we we're back in the 70s. And for you younger folk, yes, there was a 70s era. <laughs> and and I, was, I was fairly young, but... I was already starting to, to uh, understand some of the things that were going on in the world. And one of the things that, that I remember hearing and started to hear more and more was there's, there was a cry out, oh, the, the earth is, is being overpopulated. What are we going to do? Woe is us because uh, there's too many people. No, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he blessed them to do that. Well, this group of people working behind the scenes, and they're decrying, they're, oh, it's overpopulation, we need, to, we need to reduce the population. And that's part of the things that are going on. Those are the dastardly things that we're facing. Um, <clears throat> here's one of the, uh, you know, talking about the sanctity of life. And the sanctity of life has more to do than just with babies being born. Good morning. Welcome. And... That is uh, um, it. also part of what sanctity of life is, is the way that God has ordered things in His decree. It's part of what God has said is permissible and what is not permissible. And we'll go into that a little bit more. But I wanted to read some of these headlines. This was just from yesterday. It was an article written by Todd Starnes. And this has a lot to do with our community. Okay. And sanctity of life, as I begin to say, has more to do than just the birthing of babies and, and allowing them to live. Part of sanctity of life is marriage. That's sanctity. That's, that's sacred because it's God's institution. Um, gender, the way that God made male and female. And he said, I've made male and I've made female. And I've made them in my image. That's sacred. Because God has said, this is the way that it is. Family is sacred. Because he said, this is the family. It's a man and a woman and their children. That's what's sacred. That's what God has set apart. And these are the things, that, that's why it's sanctity, it's, it's sanctified. But here in, in, uh, in this headline, Biden administration investigates Mormon schools ban on LGBT dating. Here you have... Uh, Joe Biden, who in his administration and the people therein are trying to influence or trying to put pressure, and really what they're trying to do is intimidate a school, a private school, 
to try to fit them into the, to the norms of the federal bureaucracy. If we give you money, you have to do this. And so many schools, unfortunately, so many Christian schools, um, so many Christian universities, so-called, they all take federal money and then they're stuck in this thing. And it's, it's just ridiculous. But that's one of the things. That has to do with us locally. They want to influence and try to force them into changing their codes of ethics and morality. It has far-reaching indications, by the way. Because if they can influence them, then they're going to try to go to someone else. And by the way, I think that, that uh, as uh, I was in a discussion with a young lady from uh, somewhere about back south, and uh, I, I uh, laid down some truth concerning that, that uh, religion, and I was challenged, and I challenged back. And I said, look, you're, you're talking to a pastor who's in Provo, Utah. I'm not just guessing at this. I'm in the heart of it. And 85, 95, uh, 90 to 95% of our congregation is made up of former. So I know what I'm talking about. I'm not just making stuff up. They deleted all the stuff and kind of blocked me and everything. But the point is, you see that these, there's these things that are trying to interfere with what God has called. And we as Christians have to be able to respond to these things and to know how to think about it. Um, a California law, another headline. California law would let children get the jab without parental approval. In other words, schools are going to do this. Uh, there was another headline that I didn't get in here because I couldn't find it again, but it had said that, that one of the things that the education people are doing in, in Colorado, they're trying to influence children in public schools to not be influenced by their parents. And people are still sending their kids to public schools. They want the state to be in control of children. Um, Here's another one that was, uh, had a little bit of a different, uh, um, a, a little bit different thing, but it talks about the, the perversities and the things that are being celebrated, the things that are being pushed on us. I talked about last week about the article of, of a, a woman who wrote an article about pedophilia and how we're just misunderstanding what it's all about. We should rethink it. We should re-examine how it is that we approach it and what we should think about it, Right? Wrong. <laughs> She's absolutely wrong. But this is how it works. And as I said last week, I remember in the 70s when things started to change and they started to have this push. And then in the 80s, it really came on strong. And there's a book which I do recommend. It's, 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 a, it's a gross, kind of a gross book, but um, it, it, it shares their plan and it's worked to a T to today. And it's called After the Ball. And it was written by a group of homosexual um, provocateurs, and they instilled a, an agenda. And it goes back to Clinton, who installed some of these people. It continued on with President Obama, who um, had over 100 more of these people with this agenda, put them in the deep state, and it continues on today. And in fact, Joe Biden said that he talked about the, uh, um, the confusion and all the things that they're doing with children in schools with this gender issue stuff. 
and confusing them even more and perverting their minds and, and challenging what it is that we as... And remember what I said last week about the bill that's coming through, that came through to uh, um, Bill C-4 in Canada. What, what we were kind of focused on last week was the uh, bill that, you know, if, uh, if somebody is, quote-unquote, declares themselves to be non-binary, non-cisgendered, and confused and all those other things, that if you offer them help, if they want it, you will be breaking the law. In essence, what they're doing is they're really, the, the real target is the, the church of, of Christ. That's the real target, Christians. They want to silence us. And the reason why I said earlier that I believe that this is demonically influenced is because they know, demons know, they're real. They're real, y'all. They're absolutely real. The Bible talks about them. It talks about it plainly. And it wasn't just for that time. It's for today, and they influence people. They do things behind the scenes that we don't understand. Um, and so they're, they know that there is someone who can set them free. There is someone who can set people free. There is someone who can set people free from their addictions. There is someone who can set people free from their proclivities. There is someone who can set them free from all those things. And his name is Jesus. And they want to take away that truth. And they want to keep people enslaved. And they want to keep them under their control. And this is part of what, what is being attacked in what I say is the, the sanctity of life. Here's the, the, um, one of the last uh, uh, headlines that I pulled. Married taxi driver, 61, caught in a police sting when he arranged to pay um, 100 pounds for sex with a 14-year-old and is jailed. But this is becoming more and more, more and more acceptable. That's why you get an article that they later pull because they were like, oh, now's not the time. We've got to wait a little bit longer. And they begin in the educational system. They begin by presenting, these are what the scientists, the professionals, those experts, this is what they are concluding. When I was a kid and beyond, homosexuality was spoken of as a mental disorder, and it was treated as such. They knew it was deviant. They knew it was immoral. They knew it was uh, not one of those things that uh, didn't help society, and it doesn't. It, it, doesn't do really, it does really a lot of harm to those who are involved in those activities. Physical, emotional, psychological, spiritually, all those things. And yet they don't seem to understand. And these are the types of things that have resulted from accepting it. It's been in large part uh, um, accepted into the church. Now I, as, as the pastor here, I don't engage in, I try to avoid using the language of the world because I don't want to be caught up in that philosophy. And one of the things that I hear uh, a lot of churches now, they bought into this idea, well, you know, if they, if they just have this attraction, then, you know, that's a whole different thing. No, it's not. It still comes from someplace, and it's not good. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I wanted to bring these things up, because all these things are tied together. 
All of these things, what's going on around us um, constantly, and, and it hasn't been in one fell swoop. It's been coming in little increments, little by little. They chisel away. They, they, first, you begin to adopt their language. And then when you adopt their language, you begin to adopt the philosophies. And then when you begin to adopt the philosophies, then this no longer has its authority. Um, one of the things that I wanted to show you, and I would encourage you to do, um, is I printed this off, and I'll, I'll be, I've read some of it, but I want to read, and I've read some of it before. It's called the Chicago Statement of Biblical Inerrancy. It's a great statement. It was put together by biblical believers, by scholars, by apologists in 1978. And essentially it, it affirms for what is us, uh, to us, the authority of Scripture. It tells you what it is that as Christians we believe and what we don't believe, what we accept and what we deny. It's a good statement. And I would encourage you to, uh, to print one off, and if you want me to, I would gladly do that. And I think it would be a good idea for us as, as a body to do that and to go through it and read through it and understand it. Why? Because when we go back to the authority of Scripture, when we're talking about the sanctity of life and the eternal gospel, it is all based upon this. And as I've said many, many a time, um, I don't believe that this contains the Word of God. Genesis through Revelation. Because I believe that it is the Word of God. It doesn't just contain it, it is. It's sufficient. It's all we need to know who God is. It's all we need to know about why we're fallen. It's all we need to know about why there's evil in the world. It's all that we need to know about. It tells us everything that we need to know concerning the things of God. What He has called, what He has called forth, what He has decreed, what He has said is and isn't, and so on and so forth. It is either our authority or it is not. There's no middle ground. Is that going to poke at you? Yeah, there's going to be times when you're going to come in conversations in life, in this world, when it's going to make you very uncomfortable. But when you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit will give you the courage. And trust me, um, I, I want to give an example. And sometimes it does cost. Um, when I was working in a commercial setting in retail... I, was, uh, I wasn't in a position of authority, but I was one of the specialists. So um, I had uh, one of the cashiers, and she was this young gal, very confused, buying into the, philo uh, the philosophies of the world and the spirit of the age. And she had a question for me. And one day she came and asked me this question because she knew that I was a Christian. And she wanted to just ask me. And she asked me about She said, well, um, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, no problem. And she said, um, what does the Bible say about homosexuality, and bisexuality, and things like that? I said, well, this is me being me, guys. You know, sometimes I don't think. And I just said, well, the Bible calls it a perversion. It's an abomination to God. It. She was offended because she was practicing one of those things. 
she went to another cashier who was the, the lumber cashier back there, and, and uh, she was a uh, sweep. I love this gal. She was, we had some great times together. She was, uh, she was funny, and uh, she was just very sweet. She was a, another Christian gal. And unbeknownst to me, you know, uh, she was, this other young lady was offended. She goes to, to Linda and says, hey, Linda, I asked Rudy this, and this is what he said. And I know that you're a Christian too. What, what, what do you think? And she sat there and thought about it for a minute. She had a choice to make, just like I did. And she asked, she answered. She goes, yeah, what he said was right. It is. She agreed. Unbeknownst to me, and uh, to, uh, well, it was kind of known to me, but uh, some, there was a new manager in, in, the, uh, in the store just happened to be living a lesbian lifestyle. She was committing acts of immorality. And that very day, this same young lady who asked me this question went to this particular manager. Well, guess what happened? She turned into a headhunter. She was looking to fire me at any cost. I found this out years later when I'd moved to a different store and the sales manager came and said, he, what's, what's the deal with this, with this person? I said, what, what do you mean? And he kind of said, I was looking at your jacket and there was this weird, these weird notations in here and it's like, this looks like somebody that was after you. I said, yeah, yeah, they were after me. And I never did anything. I never said anything to this person. I didn't. You know, I never said anything to anyone about this person. I just worked. I just did what I was supposed to. I did my work as unto the Lord. I say all that, and, and it, it almost cost me. And I've told this story before. Um, it was, I, I had, um, on a Friday night, I called in, and they told me that I had two strikes against me. And uh, I was that close to losing my job. And it was this particular manager that kept writing me up. And they said, one more time and you're gone. And I was scheduled to work Saturday morning. And I used to go in at 6 o'clock on Saturday mornings. And so I go in, and by 6.30, I hear over the intercom, hey, Rudy, could you come to the office, please? What do you think I'm thinking? Oh, boy, what, what does she find now? Um, so I go up there, and I praise God, because God is busy working. As you said earlier, in this life, you have tribulation. But what else did Jesus say? He said, I got this. I've overcome the world. Don't worry about it. I've overcome. I go up there, and I'm expecting the worst. I'm ready to clean out my locker and get out of there. I'm like, all right, Lord, you know, I hope just open that door and help me find another job somewhere else. Well, and part of it was, mind you, that that philosophy was creeping in. This was several years ago. The philosophy was creeping into corporate life. And anybody that had a different view, you're an enemy. So I go up there to the manager's office and they said, Hey, um, there's a new store over in Bountiful. I said, Yeah, I, I knew that. I'd driven by there and seen it. And it's opening up. I said, Okay. And they need some good, experienced people over there. We think that would be a great place for you. I said, oh, I said, when do, I, when do I start? Well, you can start today if you, if you want. Or you can start Monday. Or I said, I'm out of here. 
Praise God. Praise God. They're like, what? Yeah. I said, yeah. See, I saw what was going on. Somebody was coming after me. The enemy was coming after me. And not that this person specifically, because the Bible tells us that our enemies are not flesh and blood. Powers and principalities and authority. And God steps in behind the scenes and says, nope, it's not time for him to leave yet. I didn't say he could go. I'm going to send him somewhere else. And I had a pretty good long career there in Bountiful. So I say that to say that there's, there's these things that are working themselves out in, in life. And, and there's agendas that are out there. Um, there are people like last year in uh, some of these award ceremonies in, in dark, dark, dark Hollywood where women are getting up and praising the fact that they've murdered their babies because it was so good for their career. Because they're free to do whatever they want now and help them. And the sad thing was there were people that were applauding, standing, giving ovations, drinking it in, celebrating that. That's where we're at in life. That's where we're at in, in society. That's where we're at in, in God's timing and, and all those things where, where the most upside down, wicked and evil things are being celebrated. And they're not just being celebrated, they're being promoted. They're not just being promoted, they're insisting that everyone go along with them. And not only that, that they be rewarded. That they would be rewarded with all the good things in life. And it's starting to affect, it's going to start affecting us in ways that we, maybe you've never really thought about. In China, they've implemented a system with their banking system. And if you are in line with the CCP, if you have the same philosophy, as long as you don't step out of line, you don't promote God, you promote the CCP, you stay in line, you don't speak against the state or any of that stuff, you're going to be good. You'll even gain some points. But if they find that you're guilty of anything, they'll freeze your accounts. They'll send the information to stores so you can't shop there. That's what's coming. That's what's coming for us. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that to, to be over, overly dramatic. I'm, not saying, I'm just saying that these are the things that I see working down. Uh, Joe Biden, he is, I'm, I'm going to use a little bit of strong language here, so he is, he is a prostitute for China. He is. I'm sorry if that offends somebody, but he is. He and his son, they've made millions of dollars through the CCP. There's many people uh, China right now has spies all over the place. China right now in Texas has bought up farmland. They've bought up hundreds of thousands of acres of farmland. I don't know why people are allowing this. And one of them is next to a military institution. Go figure. There's nothing fishy there. There's nothing to be, you know, uh, responding to there. It is. It's crazy. The things that are going on. And, and we have no control over that. And I'm not saying that to get us all um, riled up. But if you get riled up, I understand. I'm not saying that to scare people. I'm not saying that to... Uh, I'm just saying that this is, these are the facts. These are things that are out there. 
And they're not just made up stuff. We're finding these even on the, uh, on the Mockingbird News. The lamestream media who just mock whatever, they just mockingly just put out whatever they're told to put out. They want you to believe what they want you to believe. As uh, I was listening to an interview with, uh, um, I, I've mentioned him before. Um, it's not to promote, it's just that here's, here's a Christian brother who was canceled more than five years ago. And he was working in California, and he saw this starting, he saw this coming ahead of him, and he saw that it was coming down the road. And he left California, and he went back, and he said, because I was there in the Silicon Valley, and it was corrupting me. It was changing my morals. It was changing what it was that was my core. And I had to get away from that, and I had to get back to my roots, and I had to get back to Jesus. He's a Christian. And so he said, um, and, you know, he didn't meet the community standards. I'm a couple of check marks away from being off Facebook forever. So, you know, when that happens, just you guys know ahead of time. I'm on Gab. And that's, that, that's, he started something, and he's continuing, and he's got a different mindset. He says, you know what? I don't need to participate in that corrupt system. I'm going to start my own thing. I'm not going to use their uh, servers and all that stuff. I'm not going to go begging over there and bow before them. He says, I bow to one, and his name is Jesus, and he's the only one. I'm going to start something. He says, we should separate ourselves. The Bible does tell us to come out from among them. And so he did. He started his own thing. And it's one of the fastest growing deals, uh, media sites in the world right now. And it's frightening people. And so they're, they're saying, oh, there's, there's a bunch of Nazis on there and, and there's a bunch of racists on there. You can't go there. Don't go there because there's people like me. I'm a Nazi and a racist, I guess. In a, in a congregation that is predominantly Caucasian, I guess I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Nazi and a, <laughs> and a racist. But he saw far enough ahead and he trusted God enough to say, you know what, I don't need to participate. And he's got some other people that are working with him. And who knows, maybe someday we'll have our own banking system apart from that. And we won't have to worry about those kinds of things. Maybe it won't happen. I don't know. But we have to, as, as Christians, decide what it is that we believe, what we don't believe. As I said last week, when we're talking about the sanctity of life, life originates from God. God is the originator of life. All life comes from Him. And that's why when He says that uh, as as the Creator, as I asked those questions last week, um, I'm not going to ask them uh, today, but as the one who um, originates life and the one who created all things, He has the right to say what is right and what is wrong. He has the right to say what is moral and immoral. He has the right to say what is uh, worthy of praise and what is not worthy of praise. He has the right to say what is pure and what is impure. And he has the right to say this is sacred and this is not sacred. And he has the right to do as he pleases. He can use anybody as he pleases. And it's for good. It's always for good. And it's always to glorify him. Life originates, and so what he has called forth, we have to either hold as sacred, as holy, or we decide we're going to play God. 
And right now, that's what's going on. People are playing God. We've gone down this road. We've bought into this lie of, um, of uh, anti-science, pseudoscience thinking, and, um, and it's called evolution. And we've brought in some of these principles and ideas and philosophies into our, into our minds, and we think, no, it's that science. I was listening earlier this week to a, uh, a former uh, hardcore anti-theist who used to poke fun at God and the Bible. And he was a geologist. And he bought all that. He bought into it. And he had a friend who was a Christian, and his Christian friend, who was another scientist, was giving him some questions and challenging him. And he got to the point where he challenged him with a certain book, and it wasn't, wasn't this, but it was a, a book that was written by another scientist. And he said, you know, if you're so sure, and the way that you mock the Bible and so on and so forth, um, I challenge you to read this book, he said, and tell me what you think. I just, I'm just curious to see what you would think. I'm curious to see if you would do it. And the guy says, why would I read a book of this just about... All it is is just another form of religion. It's just another religious book. He says, okay, well, if you know that that's sad and you're going to be able to defeat it, then go ahead and I challenge you. So the guy, of course, in his pride said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'm going to prove to you that this is wrong. And it was a book written by Henry Morris, the creationist. But he's a scientist. He's a very good scientist. Super intelligent guy. And this guy began reading that book. And a couple times he'd read some and, what in the world? And he'd go back and read it again. What? What is this? And he'd go back and read some more. And he finally was like, this is all about science. And it's factual and it's stuff that I can actually check out. It actually fits the scientific model. What in the world is going on here? He was using some colorful language. And he got to the end of the book and he said, everything that I've been taught has been a lie. There is a God. And he did create. And it's scientifically tenable. He changed. God reached him. God, and, and I love those people that want to challenge God like that, he became and understood that there is a God. In, uh, um, in Isaiah, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 30, we read that last week. I want to read that again so that it's fresh in our minds. Genesis 1, and this is the story of creation. This is the sixth day. God has already made all the stuff. The sun didn't come around until the third day. And, um, and so uh, starting in uh, verse 26, God has made all these things. He's made the, ca- the cattle. He's made all the creeping things. And over and over again, he said, after their own kind. So cattle are going to beget cattle. Um, you're not going to have a literal catfish because fish are going to produce fish and cats are going to produce cats. 
So there's, there's none of that business. There's, there's no intermediary thing changing from one thing to another, right? He created them as they are, the way that he made them. Then in verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, the Imago Dei. Then he reinforces that. In the image of God, he created him. God establishes a witness. So he created man in his image, and in the image of God, he created them. As if to say, make no doubt, man is different. Man is part of creation, but he is not part of the animal kingdom. You see, I know Christians that still believe that lie, that we're part of the animal kingdom. And it's because all of those ideas and philosophies have, been, have infiltrated our minds. We're not. We're human beings. God created us different. We're the only thing in all creation that has that imago Dei. And God wanted us to know this, and he emphasized it by saying, he created him in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Then he said, here's the gender, male and female, he created them. Those are the genders. And we have roles to play. And he's the one who's put forth how we're to interact in those things. How we're to live out our lives. And he's sanctified those things. Those are the things that he has called because he has called them to be. This is the way that it is. We're in a time right now where everything is being redefined. Now, what is sanctified is the right to murder your baby in the womb. Not to be blessed like you women are. To be able to have this human being your child to grow within your womb. Men will never know what that's like. We love our children. But you have a different connection. You have something that we will never experience. I'll never experience that. No man ever will. But now you see, you see in the news that, oh no, men can have babies. Nope. <laughs> They've redefined it. They've used their own philosophies to pervert things, to twist things, and to infiltrate the minds of children, to confuse them. But here it says that, no, he created them male and female. They're distinct. Female from male, but they're distinct. And they have their different roles to play. And they have their different purposes. And it glorifies God when we walk in those things. Then he says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over it. There's a lot of things going on right there. A lot of commands. These have never been rescinded. And it also says, be, rule over the fish of the sea, over the, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then jump down to verse uh, um, 31, because I don't like the vegetarianism. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, and God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So on the sixth day, God does this towards the end of the thing. We're his crowning 
achievement in creation. We're the ones that have the image of God, the only thing. And that's why those babies are so precious. That's why those little beings within women's wombs and the abilities that you have and the marvel. We did a study a while back, a DVD series with Randy um, Goliza, I think his name is, and just mind-blowing what God, how he institutes and how he made women so that, you know, birth technically should kill both the baby and the woman. But he set things up within the anatomy and the physiology of women and the biology to things that should kill don't because God has created and designed and made things so that they're just totally ingenious. And they're beyond our scope of understanding. Even Randy Guliza, uh, I think his name is, um, brilliant man. He just said, it's just mind-blowing to, to think of the, of the mindset of God to do this and things that should kill people don't because it's part of the process. How he interrupts those things. It's mind-blowing. It's mind-bending. And then, of course, God brought the man and the woman together. We have the story in Genesis 2, and, and it's uh, um, not to reiterate the same story, but um, when God created woman, he gives a more detailed account of that in, in chapter 2 of Genesis, uh, of uh, verse uh, 22, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, now this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, this is what God has instituted. Remember, he said, this is good. This is very good. Very good. And he rested on the seventh day, right? Like we're supposed to be doing today. Rest. Drink God in. Take in. Worship him. Adore him. But he set up roles, he set, a, he set distinct roles, and he made the institution of marriage. This is what we've just read. It's the institution of marriage. It's the institution of the family. The family comes from this. This is the way it was designed. Jesus confirms this in Matthew chapter 19. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And part of what's being destroyed in redefining and people playing God and saying what is acceptable that is totally antithetical to what the Bible teaches is it's destroying what is sacred. It's twisting the minds and hearts of people, especially children. Um, God's design is for a man to leave his father and mother. Now, there's a role that, that are distinct for men. One of the things that I didn't get to really talk about last week was the role of men as husbands and, and as fathers. And one of the roles that, that men have, that men have to do, they should do, godly men anyways, is they should be the pastors of their own home. They should be. Paul talks about this in Timothy. And he says that there's roles, there's distinct roles for men and for women in the church, but also at home. 
Women are to be quiet. When they have questions, they're to go to their husbands. He's the pastor of the home. He's the one that should be leading the, the teaching his little boys how to be little, little boys. And women have a role to play in that too. And it's hard. Because you all want to protect your little ones. You don't want to see them hurt. But women have to learn how to let go. Let them go get hurt with dad. Because... Sometimes we do some, as I was saying last week, sometimes we do some pretty different things that women would never do. And I've told the story before of a woman who was, I heard her on the radio, and she was uh, early on in her life when her boys were young, she had this wrong idea of, of motherhood, and she thought it was just to protect her children. And, and, you know, they would go do things with their dad, and then she would just bring them in because that's too dangerous for them. She learned as she started to watch how they were becoming less and less like dad and more and more like mom. She realized, I'm wrong. This is going to be hard. The boy wanted, one of her boys wanted to go when he was, I think, 11 or 12. He wanted to go with his dad because his dad had the chainsaw and he's going to go cut down some trees. And what's mom thinking? Oh no, that's too dangerous. And she said, it's like the voice of God spoke to her and said, he needs to learn how to be a man. If he gets hurt, his dad's there. He'll take care of him. That's part of the role of what, a women, what, what women are supposed to do. Allow little boys to be little boys. We're going to do some crazy stuff. We're going to break things. Not just stuff, we're going to break fingers and hands and legs, going to climb trees and fall off of them and do things like that. You know, skateboards are going to kick us in the teeth. All that kind of stuff. And you have to just let them do that. Not recklessly, but just know that we're different. We have to challenge ourselves. We have to know our limits, and the only way that we learn our limits is by pushing ourselves. I mean, even, in, even as, a, as, a, as a man, there's, um, I'm not afraid of heights, but when you're up 40 or 50 feet in the air and you're just on a two-by-four and walking across like this and there's ice because it's the middle of winter on that same board and that's just your job, you don't think about it, you just do it, right? Not a lot of women folk want to do that. I didn't want to do that. But I just had to bite it and just go, all right, just got to go. I got to go across this because there's no other way to get across. And sometimes you just do that. That's what, that's what we do. That's why we're different. And I had to push myself. And, you know, if you just stare down at the thing, you're going to lose your balance. You just got to look ahead and just trust your feet and just one foot in front of the other. You know, that's what you do. Way up there. We have distinct roles. And... Part of those distinct roles is uh, God, when he created the, um, um, one of the things that I didn't get to share last week was, was from uh, when uh, Paul talked about it in uh, Corinthians. And it's that, um, and I want to read it again, um, because it's, it's an important uh, um, part of scripture. It's one of the things, you know, obviously Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, talk about the abomination. That one of the things that's abominable to God. And, and we're challenged 
by people who are antithetical to the, to the biblical worldview that we have, that we should have as Christians. And people push back uh, against it. They push back against the, uh, what the Bible says about sexuality, about gender. And they say, well, what about the rest of the law? What about mixing the fabric? Why don't you keep that? Why don't you keep all the, you know, if you eat shrimp and all that, so why don't you keep that? It's like, well, it's because you're ignorant of what the Bible actually teaches. That's why. Just direct them to the book of Acts and say, hey, uh, see what uh, was told to Peter about foods. And it's real simple. He has this vision, has this thing happened. He's got all these unclean things on there. And praise God for that. We can enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> we can enjoy bacon. Man. The other day I was, I was working and I walked to the, to the lady, um, her, her name is Miss Felicia, and, and uh, walked into her home and I'm like, and she's coming around the corner. I said, good morning, Miss Felicia. She said, good morning. And I said, I got to have some of that cologne. She goes, what? I said, yeah, that cologne. She goes, what cologne? I said, bacon. That's, that's some good smelling cologne right there. And it just filled the whole house. Praise God. And that's, you know, that's. Silliness, but he has this vision, and God says to him as he sees this sheet and he sees all these animals, he sees he's unclean, and he says, Take, eat. Peter's like, What? No way. I've never had my, I've never even touched anything like that. What is, what does God say in that vision? What I've called clean, do not call unclean. Take and eat. Praise God for that. Anyways, they, they want to fight against and, and they want to push back and they want to say that, well, you don't, you, know, you don't believe what you say you believe if they understood the scripture. And that's actually an opening line for you, for us all, to say, well, you know, there's a reason for that. And we can take them to the scriptures and say, this is why we don't practice those things. Because it only applied at that time to those people. And you have to understand that. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all that. Another reason we should celebrate Jesus. He fulfilled all those things so we didn't have to. Amen? And so, anyways, this is, uh, um, this is what Paul says. And, um, and he says here, in, uh, so I'm going to start in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, actually, then it is already a defeat for, for you uh, that you have lawsuits with one another. Uh, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Um, that's another message for another time. I want to continue on. And then he says in verse 8, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, uh, and that your brethren. And then verse 9, I want to focus on this, because this is the one uh, place where, where Paul calls out a series of immoralities, sexual immoralities. And one of the, it's just one of the places where, where, and there's not a whole lot of places, and that's one of the things that we get accused of. It's like, how come when you're focused on all the immoral stuff, you know, um, there's only just a few places? It's like, well, because they understood. They had a fear of God. God had already said that. It had already been established. They knew it, and so they didn't challenge it. They weren't trying to play God and redefine everything. They knew that God had already said that and that it was immoral. And that if it's immoral and you practice it, then you're spitting in God's face. And they had enough fear and enough sense to say, we're not going to do that. So here, it's, it's both convicting, 
but it's also freeing. Listen to what Paul wrote. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, this should warn us all, and those of you who are watching online, following online, we're not all children of God. That's a lie. It doesn't say that in the Bible. The Bible nowhere tells us that we're all children of God. It's a lie that, we're all, that we all grow up with. But the Bible actually tells us that as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become a child of God. Yeah. And so it is one of those things where you become a child of God by receiving Christ. And apart from that, you're not a child of God. You are a creation of God. And he says, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, this is not Paul saying. That's it. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus stepped into this world incarnate. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was dead and buried. Jesus rose again on the third day. Hallelujah. And believe that. That's what it says in Romans. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love that because it's very definitive. It's like, it ain't going to be kind of, sort of. It ain't maybe, just, just maybe. It's no, you will be. Why? Because only God can reveal that to us. And he says, do you not know that the, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, and we're not made righteous on our own. It's granted to us, just like it was to Abraham, the father of our faith. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. He had zero in his account. He was bankrupt in God's eyes until he said, I believe you, God. I'm 99, and I'm going to have a child next year. All right. How that going to work out? That's your problem. I'm just believing you. You, you, you do what you do, and I'm going to believe you. And at that moment, that instant, it's accounted to him as righteousness because he took God at his word. We're made righteous, we're looked at as righteous by God when we believe him. And he said, I've sent my son. And when you've seen him, you've seen the fullness of God. And the question that Jesus asks in John chapter 11 I am the resurrection and the life. Even though you die, if you believe in me, even though you die, yet shall you live. Then he asked that all-important question, do you believe this? And that's a question for you to wrestle with. That's a question for you to grapple with. Do you believe him? If you say yes, then praise God. If you say no, there's trouble. The righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes uh, through this list. He says, do not be deceived. That is your responsibility, by the way. Do not be deceived. Don't let uh, um, this thought come into your mind. And we hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Y'all have heard it all the time. My God would never. My God would never. Until you know who God is, we should refrain from saying that because what you're saying is 
you're an idolater because you're making God in your own image, in the image of man. And God says, "Mm -mm. no, no. God says, I am holy, and you're to treat me as holy. That's a scary thing. But he says here, he says, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. Um, Neither fornicators. Fornicators are what? They're immoral. This is the worst. This is uh, um, pornaya. Pornia. Those who commit sexual acts of immorality. Any sexuality that is practiced outside the bonds of marriage is sin to God. Any. We're all guilty of that. Guilty. I'm guilty as charged. Praise God for Jesus. Um, He says, fornicators will not. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters. Those who worship another God, a God of their own making, a God of their own understanding, a God of their own minds that they invent. Nor adulterers. People who commit adultery. They don't have affairs, by the way. That's crept in. I hear pastors all the time saying, and they had an affair. It's like, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible calls it adultery. And we need to be biblical, even in our language. Because it helps resist and push back against all the philosophies of the world. And people don't like it. It ruffles their feathers. It offends me. She would say that. Tough. Be offended. God offends because he's holy. And we don't understand that. It's offensive. He's offensive to us. That's why we hate God as non-believers. The Bible says we're all enemies of God. All of us, at one point in time, until Christ comes into our lives, until we receive Christ, we're enemies of God. We've set ourselves up against him. That's a losing battle, (laughs) y'all. Ain't nobody going to win that fight. Trust in Jesus. He says, neither adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves. You ever stolen anything? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Guilty. Guilty as charged. We can see ourselves here. And he says, nor thieves, nor covetous. You ever wanted something that somebody else had so bad that you wouldn't stop thinking about it? You're plotting in your mind. Oh, how can I get that? I need that. I need me some of that. Right? He says, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Nor swindlers, nor revilers, nor drunkards shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty, pretty tough statement. That's one of those things where if he left it there, we would be all like, man, what do I do? I'm guilty. This is talking about me, right? I was sharing with somebody recently, you know, when going through the book of Isaiah or the book of Hosea, and I told this person, I said, you know what the book of Hosea is about? I said, it's a prophet of God. God calls this, this, this man. And he calls him to himself and he says, I want you to prophesy. 
And he says, here's part of the prophecies. Here's part of the things that I, I'm commanding you to do. I want you to marry a prostitute. What? Yeah. And you're to purchase her. Go buy her. Purchase her. Marry her. And you're going to have children by her, by the way. And you're going to name them specific names. Not mine. And uh, I can't remember the other name, but no mercy. No mercy and not mine. You don't belong to me. And then, after that, she's going to leave you. And when she leaves you, you're still going to love her. And she's going to go prostitute herself out again. And when she's gotten to the point where nobody will buy her anymore, you're going to take your money and you're going to buy her back. And you're going to love her. And I told this person, I said, you know, when I used to read that, I used to see myself as Hosea. And I felt so bad for myself. But as I thought about it and dwelt on it, I remember the day. And forgive me if I get a little bit emotional, but I remember the day when I started to really think and take this in. And I remember looking at that and I remember going to God and saying, oh my God, I'm not Hosea, I'm Gomer, I'm that prostitute. I'm the one who's unworthy, I'm the one who's wasted my life, I'm the one who's cheated on you, God. That's who I am. And this story tells me that you gave everything to buy me back. And until I came to know that, that changed my life. It changed my spiritual walk. When I began to understand that I am Gomer, I'm the one who's cheated on God. I'm the one who was the prostitute. I'm the one who whored myself out. And yet he paid everything that I might live and be redeemed. It's a beautiful story because it shows exactly what the gospel is all about. He changes and he makes new. He makes everything new. And here he says, don't you know that all of these things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But oh God, but God, hallelujah. Praise God, hallelujah. Verse 11 he says, and such were. Some of you. What I didn't get to speak last week, I want to make sure that people, especially out there on the interweb, know. If you are struggling with homosexuality, adultery, addiction, any of these things, God can and will save you and He'll change you. He'll change your desires. He'll change your vision of things. He'll change your view of the world. He'll change everything about you. You just simply need to believe Him. When they're busy redefining everything and practicing all the wickedness and the evil and all these things and promoting it and celebrating it and rewarding it and all these things, we don't need to be caught up in that. 
But we can tell our friends. And yes, is it going to cost us? It might. Is it going to cost us if we go to somebody who's struggling with this and we can tell them, Jesus can set you free? They're going to push back. How dare you? How dare you judge me? I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you he can set you free. He can make you new. Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we're yet these things, adulterers, thieves, fornicators, swindlers, liars, idolaters, practicers of witchcraft, all of these things, while we were yet those things, that's when Jesus steps in and says, I'll set you free. I'll make you new. That's what being born again is all about. He can change you. He can make you. Yes, there is a normal. And it's what God has called normal. He can change your desires. And I'm telling you that. I'm right now, if I was in Canada, I would be breaking the law. I can tell you how God can change you. Not by anything that I can do. Not by anything that I can say in my own opinion. But I can tell you what God can do. Our God is quick to forgive. Slow to anger. That's amazing considering how perfect that he is. And thank God that he is. Otherwise, we'd all be toast. We would all be fuel for the fire. Every single one of us. I'm a sinner deserving of God's wrath. I deserve the lowest places in hell. I deserve the hottest fires. Because I'm that whore. We should all think of it that way and understand what God loves and he transforms us and he makes us new and he can give us new desires and he makes us and he, he, he reinvents us, if you will, and he makes us new and he utilizes. He'll use your pain. He'll use your struggle. He'll use all of those things to help someone else in their darkness. He'll shine His light through you in order that somebody else might be saved. Don't be afraid to share that. He bore our shame so that we didn't have to. And we needn't be ashamed. We can tell our stories and we can kind of sort of say, you know, I'm ashamed of all this, but let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the one who made me different. There's been people that have only known me since I was a Christian, and they tell me when I tell my horrible past, they say, I can't imagine you like that. I'm like, imagine that. I said, I can. I've lived it. And I'm telling you, Jesus can and will change you if you trust him. Paul realized that that there's uh, different roles for women and men to play. I, I want to read some of these things that, that Paul has written and, uh, before we're finished here. And I want to read from Ephesians 5, 22. These are the roles for husbands and wives. Um, he says in Ephesians, and remember, Paul said that some were. That's past tense. That's how you used to be. That's your B.C. era. He just talked about your B.C. era. 
And by that I mean before Christ. Because I'm telling you, when you meet Christ, you will not find him, but he does find you. He's not the one who's lost, you are, just like I was. And I pray that he would send his holy hound, the holy hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit, to search you out. Paul says this in Ephesians concerning the roles, concerning that which God has sanctified and what he sees as what he has made, his institution. He says in verse 22 of Ephesians 5, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's a hard statement for you ladies. Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being a savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Now husbands, as the heads, that puts a responsibility on you. Um, We are to be the pastors of our home. I think when it comes to godly women, there's nothing more attractive than a man who says, let's go pray. Set aside some time to pray. Let's set aside time to teach. Let's do this. Men are to lead in that way in their home. That's what men do. Women are to come alongside. It's almost like they're uh, uh, kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit who comes alongside to help that man. Who comes alongside as a helper, as a comforter. Sometimes we men are doing all kinds of things that are out there in the world and the world hates men right now. And men come home and they don't find an inviting and loving environment. They find a place where there's contention. And they just deal with it. Because we just keep things to ourselves. We don't say anything. Women, come alongside your men. Help them. So that they come home to a loving environment. Respect them. That's all they want. After being beat up all day long, going home to some place where you know you're respected, hey, men will blossom. You'll see a leader. You want a leader in your home? That's how you get a leader. You do what God says. And you'll glorify God in doing that. You're not glorifying your man. You're not making something of your man. You're glorifying God because he said this is the way that it should be. And you're fighting against the curse that God laid down way back in Genesis 3. We haven't talked about that too much, and we'll touch on that some other time. But he says this as we continue on in... um, He says, also, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know what I hear there and what I see there? I see you better be hitting your knees. God, how do I love this woman like this? It's impossible for me. I can't. How do I do this? We go to him in faith. Say, show me. Show me so that she knows and that there's no doubt. Help me because I need that help. Because we're just men. We do guy stuff. We don't know how to love like that. We need you to do that. Help me. 
That's what I hear him saying here, because that's a heavy thing. I mean, if that doesn't strike you like it strikes me, I don't know what to tell you. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's pretty heavy. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Because remember, the husband, the man, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. He's going to leave his family that he's always known and he's going to go make a family of his own. And he's going to begin there. And they become one. Love the body, love the woman just as you love your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And notice it's just wife, it's singular, it's one wife. That's the picture. And it's a woman and it's a man. And it's a man and it's a woman. And that's it. That's what God has called. This is what he has sanctified. This is what he has set apart. This is what he has decreed. This is what he has called out. We should be fearful of those who would redefine it. Or at least standoffish with them. We should be fearful for them. Because one day they will stand before God and give an account. He says... Um, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. We're being united to Christ. This is speaking to us in a corporate sense as well. It's the individual couple's but it's also the corporate church. He is our husband. We're betrothed to him. And so we're to be, he cleanses us, washes us with the washing of water, with the word. We have to be in the word. The logos. And the logos is live. And the logos will lead us and guide us. But it's not only about these. Some of us are in uh, um, situations where we don't have a spouse. What does that speak to us? Well, we're to remain as we are for the most part until God brings somebody else in. Should we be actively looking? Yeah, could be. That's fine. But here's one of the things that I wanted to share and, and uh, um, that... Uh, helped me in my singleness when I was forced by no choice of my own to be alone. And I've been alone since 98, y'all. It's a long time. I've known loneliness, but not like Jesus has. So I'm thankful for that. 
But early on, there was a pastor who loved me enough to take me aside and when all these things started happening in my life. And he just asked me a simple question. He says, you know, there, there's, there's always this, you know, God always works in, in different ways and he may bring about uh, reconciliation and he may not. He says, but I just have one question for you. And he drew a simple thing on a piece of paper and, and it was a stovetop with the coils, you know, the big ones and the little ones and the big one and the little one. And he says, if going down the road in this timeline, uh, if, if God brings you reconciliation and in the same way, the same timeline and in a different spot, a different place, and let's say that this timeline goes on and God doesn't bring you reconciliation. The important question is this. On the stove of your life, where do you want God? Do you want him on the front burner of your life? On the back burner, simmering, maybe barely keeping warm. Where do you want him? And if you put him in the front burners of your life and keep him there, where do you think you'll be five years from now, whether you, do, whether you are reconciled or not? Where are you going to put God? And this happened back in 98, right before Thanksgiving. And, and it's a, it's a three-hour drive. And that time it was a three-hour drive because I just kind of put it in, in uh, um, cruise control and just pondered on that. It's profound to me because I had to really think about that. I remember that year being there with my family in Idaho. And I remember my mom at one point um, when I was about, you know, the day that I was going to leave, but it was fairly early in the morning, and we had some alone time. Her and I were just talking, and she says, Mijo, you, you've been really distant. You haven't been yourself. Are you okay? I said, Mom, I'm just thinking about something that my pastor said. And I think I've made a decision. I decided I want God on the front burners of my life. Because whether he brings reconciliation or not, even as a single man, I can cope better if I have him on the front burners of my life. And that's one of the questions that I want to ask of you. Where is God on the stove of your life? Is he on the front burners of your life? Or is he on the back, maybe simmering, maybe just being kept warm? Maybe just barely, you know, just barely, barely, kind of, sort of warm. Where is he on the burners of your life? That's for you to, to ask. If he's on the front burners of your life, all those other things will matter only a little bit. Because you'll be busy being about the work of God that he's called us to. And you'll be busy with him. And that's one of the decisions that we have to make when we're, when we're going through these things. As husbands and wives, we have to ask that same question. Where's God in this? Is he on the front burner of my life or is he on the back burner of my life? And that's the question for you guys to answer. That's the hypothetical. I know I came to a decision. I said, I, I, want, I want you, God, on the front burner of my life. I want you interfering in everything. <laughs> because I trust you. Because at that time I was broken hearted. 
At that time, I was hurting like you couldn't believe. And maybe some of you can. But he had carried me through that. Even in those moments where I literally called out to him and said, I just need somebody to hold me. And there's no one. And I have no one to do that. Could you please just do that? And it was as if he took me in his lap and in his arm as I sat there broken. And it was as if he was just patting my back, saying, it's going to be okay. I got you. You are in my lap. And so I was able to come to that decision. I want you in the front of my life, front burners of my life. And it's not easy. But as single people, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to make that decision. Do I want God on the front burner of my life or on the back burner of my life? And if he's on the back burner, you're going to run to him every once in a while. But what are you going to find? It's a tough question, I know. But it's one of those things that we have to ask. And he says that this is, this is the day. We, we, because we are... Um, um, members of his body. He says, this mystery that I'm speaking is about Christ and the church. And then he says in verse 33, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it, and this is both of our responsibilities as husbands and wives. Husbands, you are to love your wife. Period. End of story. Don't make excuses. Don't make, just find a way. And I tell you where you're going to find an answer. On your knees. Paul says in a different place, I want all men everywhere. So he's not just talking about the church. He says, I want all men everywhere, all believing men, to be praying with holy hands lifted up, crying out to God. And I love that when I think about it, because I think of a child saying, Papa, help me. Papa, carry me. Pick me up. Papa, do it again. Do it again. That's what he wants. Paul says this, I want every man, everywhere, those who are believers, to be praying, holy hands lifted up, seeking these things. That's what he says. Therefore, I want every uh, men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So Paul makes this, these uh, distinctions, and I want to finish with this. Paul looking ahead. This is what Paul believed about the times that we're uh, possibly in. It could be further down the road. I don't know. But this is what Paul said. He says in uh, um, 2 Timothy 3, he says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. Why is that important? What did we just read in Ephesians? What are men to love? Their wives. Learn. They're to love Christ and they're to love their wives. He says, but men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. It's amazing how many times Paul, and this is important for kids to hear. It's super important for kids to hear this. 
Because this is included in a list of a litany of things that God, that God has called through Paul unholy, unrighteous, sinful. He says men will be unloving. They will be un- irreconcilable, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, malicious gossips, without self-control. By the way, men, that's one of the things that makes a man a manly man. A man who has all those passions, but has them under control. That's meekness. You have all these passions, but you have them under control. You keep them under control. That's part of what being a man is. Taking these passions and you bridle them. You control them. You have decisions to make. You decide what you're going to do with those. You keep them under your control. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do that. Because on your own, you're going to mess up. Trust me, I know. Go to Him. Trust in Him. God, I can't do this. He says, I know. But I can. Right? They're going to be without self-control. Brutal. Haters of good. Treacherous. Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Those are hypocrites. Those are people who say, yeah, I love God, but I'm going to live as I please. To which I say, you can't live like the devil and say that you love Jesus. Can't, doesn't fit. If Christ has not made a difference in your life and you call yourself a Christian, you need to check what it is that you believe. You need to check whether you're born again. I know it's a harsh thing to say, but if Christ has not changed your life, you need to be wary. You need to go to Him and repent. You need to go to Him and repent and call upon Him. Forgive me. Help me. Help me to change. I'm not going to do the change myself, but I know that you can. Because he transforms us by the renewing of our minds. And he says, for, um, <clears throat> he says uh, um, they've denied the power. They've, they've holding to a form of godliness. So they kind of look good from the outside. They're denying the power of it. And avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So men will prey on these women. and Women will open themselves up to them. They're fakes, they're phonies, they're hypocrites. Beware of those. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. That's part of our responsibilities as men, men of God. To be on guard. To be guarding the hen house, as it were. Even for our friends and family. Be on guard. Protecting. It's one of the things, the way that God made men, we're protectors. 
And we should facilitate that in us. God, give me more of that so I can be more like that to help, my, to help this single woman, to help her see that there's men who are godly, who are not trying to take advantage of her, that there's honest men out there, men of integrity, men who are honorable, men who won't take advantage, men who only want to see for their welfare, seek them out for God's good. Be different. Um, and so the one that is struggling with his or her sexuality, the gender, and all these things that the world and its philosophies try to confuse you with, bottom line, it's all sin. It's a perversion. God has spoken. He's spoken in here what is right, what is true, what is righteous, what is honorable, what is lovely, what is of good repute. He has spoken all these things, and here is where we find it. And when it deviates from here, that's exactly what it is, a deviation. We must trust that this is the authoritative word of God, and that we can trust it. It's infallible, it's inerrant, and it's authoritative. And it has been translated correctly for us. To the one who's struggling with this, sin, that's what the Bible calls it. Jesus Christ can set you free. He can make you new. He can and will make you a new creature. He can take away those things that bind you, that enslave you, that encompass you, that weigh you down. He says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. Are you tired of living the way that you are? Turn to Jesus. He says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He can save you. He can take away those desires. He will change you. He does set you free. He sets you free and He makes you new. He says so in John chapter 8. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You want to be free? Trust in Jesus. Go to Him today. Trust in Him. Believe in Him. Receive Him to yourself. Don't wait. Run. Run. Flee temptation. Flee those things. For the believer, take him at his word. He will lead and guide you. Men, husbands, dads, he will empower you. He'll enable you. He'll uh, fill you. And he'll embolden you. The one that comes alongside of you, your husbands, help him. Help him lead. Put God first before your husband. Put your husband second. Your children third. I know that fights against your... But my kids, but my children. The model is your husband is the second place in your heart. God is first, then your husband, then your children, then the church, and all of us. And love your children. Both husbands and wives. 
Encourage their gender. Encourage their femininity, those who are girls. Encourage them to do the girly things and encourage them also to be with their dad, to learn some things for the purpose of life, living. Encourage boys to be boys. Scrape things, cut things, break things. You can't control it. They're going to do it anyways when you're not looking. Trust me, I know. Encourage them. Embrace. Encourage them to embrace who they are and not to believe the lies of the world. Single people, put God first. Trust in Him. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. I've had a lot of years of singleness. And I get sick of it sometimes. But I just wait. I trust in God. Put God on the front burner of your life. Don't keep Him on the back. It's a bold stride, I know. Children, obey your dads and your moms. Obey your parents. Honor your fathers and your mothers. Um, do this, for God is pleased with them. And only Christ Jesus our Lord is the remedy. He is the solution to the problem of sin. He and only He, He alone, He will, He does, He can make you new, if you'll just trust Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your goodness and grace and mercy. Thank You for Your kindness. Thank You for how You love us. Thank you, Lord, that you have spoken and that we can trust that your word is your word, the logos, the living word, the eternal gospel. You have been making people new from the beginning. And oh, how we thank you. It's always been about grace and it's always been about your glory. And it will be till the end. And in the end, what will we see? The glory of the one and only the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The glory of the one who saves and the only one who can save. The name, the only name that is given under heaven by which men must be saved. The name of Jesus coming in the clouds with the host of heaven. What a glorious day that will be. Oh Lord, I pray, draw those people who are yours to yourself. Set them free from the bondage of sin. Set us free, Lord, to do your work that you've called us to do. Give us that desire to bear much fruit. Give us that desire to expand your kingdom. Give us that desire to be your children. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Thank you for loving us while we were yet sinners. And you demonstrated it on the cross of Jesus, who took our sin and took our place, and who died and who rose again on the third day after he was buried. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. And I thank you that we have all eternity to continually thank you. Because even then it won't be enough. Thank you, Lord, for everything. We bless you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Hey, one thing I forgot to mention. Um, when we're done, there's some uh, goodies downstairs that were left over from yesterday. They're not leftovers. It's still good and fresh, but there's some uh, enjoyable eats downstairs, so let's hang around for a little while and do what we do. Enjoy one another, fellowship, and get some grub. <laughs>